This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This show is dedicated to the memory of F1 race director Charlie Whiting. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called To Whom It May Concern. Thank you very much to Jorian Jordan for that show title. Runners-up were from Stephen Finley Hamilton's Pain in the Bot and from Jochim Fratch, I, Robotas. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Chris Stevens. Hi, Chris. Hi, Spanners. Happy start of the season. Well, it's been a surprising start to the season. It looks like... Mercedes F1 had some pace that wasn't shown in testing. Absolutely shocking, I know. It's taken me off guard, Chris, because this is only the fifth straight season in a row that that's happened. We'll catch it next year. Fool me five times, Mercedes. Shame on you. Fool me six, seven or eight times. Shame on me. Oh, I think that the real surprise here is the lack of pace from uh, from some of the competitors. But uh, definitely uh, nobody saw the Mercedes turn of pace coming, did they? No, no. Uh, but we do have to warn our audience here that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. Not Chris. Chris is painfully alone. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by Nick Numbers Alexander, making his 11th Missed Apex debut, Steve Roll VT Amy, and Techmaster Summers F1. Hello to the live stream as well. You can find us on YouTube by searching Missed Apex Podcast. So as Chris mentioned, really the big news as we rocked up into qualifying and Q3 was the lack of pace from Ferrari absolutely shocking summers 
we had this big debate about who was the fastest team out of testing. I don't think anyone, even people who thought Mercedes were faster, thought that it was a 0.7 second gap in qualifying. No, and to be fair, I don't think it is as perhaps as big as a gap as it would appear in uh, Melbourne because we, we obviously realised the fact that Ferrari have had to tone things down a little bit for this particular Grand Prix because there's some issues that have arisen since testing um, and during testing in order that they you know they need to to resolve those going forward um, and it's not an easy fix so uh, obviously it's had an impact on their performance here in Australia. So let's talk about that raw pace then. So we're saying that they saw things in in testing that made them think that they had to turn their power unit down or it was going to explode? Yeah, well, pretty much we're talking about temperature problems. Uh, you might you might have noticed that the the Ferrari was uh, that the cooling solution on the Ferrari was a little bit more open than it was during testing. I did notice. Yeah, I noticed that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so obviously that that's all to do with the fact that they needed to evacuate the heat from from the car itself. Um, and, and the other thing that obviously you mentioned pre-show as well is is that Ferrari were only running in smaller stints during testing, so they, they weren't exposing themselves to these problems um, during the the test runs because they're not running the car at full tilt for a race condition. So, yeah, I I think it's something that they obviously knew that they had a problem with during testing uh, and they realised that they had to make changes for for this race um, in order to to try to weed those out. But I think going forward, we we might see things a little bit closer. Uh, Just tell me, though, when you say about opening up the cooling, what am I actually looking at? What will I see on the car that shows me they've opened up the cooling? Okay, so predominantly the biggest thing to look at for cooling is at the rear of the car. It's the engine cover at the rear. You've got the big expanse where the exhaust outlet comes through. Um, that will let, You'll see that at different circuits, different teams will run different cooling capacity, and Ferrari made a, a, an increase on theirs for, for Australia. Now let's um, think of this from a fan point of view. Nick, you're our, our token Ferrari fan. Explain to us just in detail, kind of blow by blow, the realisation and the, the crushing feeling of disappointment yet again. Right, so is this the support group? Because I, with the daylight savings time, I'm a little bit confused about what time that we that we meet. No, um, uh, sorry, this is the Hamfosi bear pit. Welcome, though. Oh, I've been I've been tricked again for the eleventh time. So so the blow by blow for me is, is I'll kind of admit that um been very busy over the winter walking watching hockey as as all North Americans do and kind of tuned in um without paying much attention too much to the offseason, kind of coming in. Um I don't usually buy too much into the testing. Always know that with the the fuel and the tires, I mean you never I feel like you can't extrapolate. I feel like it's not good data. And so I kind of tuned in like, okay, you know. Let's see what do, what do we got, and um, obviously was bitterly disappointed <laughs> with um, what it would appear that we got. So not looking very good right now. Um, There's a bit of hope for you though. I mean, Mercedes and Hamilton Q3 Australia is very typical Hamilton Mercedes territory, but Ferrari have still been strong at the other opening races in the last couple of seasons. Yeah, including this one, which they were they were very quick to point out when you're watching qualifying. They're like, no, 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 please, 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 please <laughs> tune in tomorrow. Don't not watch the race because it appears that Mercedes is going to run away with it. Remember, in the past, they didn't win this race. So we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chris, this is this is not the, the season over because Ferrari couldn't string together performance in Q3. 
as Matt has been reminding me today, he's been saying, no, there's, but there's potential in the car. And I asked him how many points there were for potential. Uh, he, he hasn't come back to me yet. Uh, but there is a feeling that Ferrari just need to somehow magically unlock something. Uh, well, and, and Red Bull too, um, you'd say, because neither of them are quite on Mercedes' pace. Um, I think we've been uh, deceived a little bit um, during testing. I th- the most accurate thing uh, that you can read is how well a car handles and the Ferrari seem to be the best handling car but that doesn't always translate into a quick car and we've seen the Mercedes quite skittish um, during uh, practice and qualifying and for them that's the fastest way to run uh, their car but definitely I don't you can't say that Mercedes are just going to walk away with this season we can't take too many conclusions away from uh, one race, um, especially this race in Australia, which tends to throw up some oddball results. So let's see uh, how they go on a very different track in Bahrain. Yeah, Australia is weird and terrible and everything's always trying to kill you. Uh, Speaking of which, we have a token Aussie with us. G'day, Steve. G'day, Spanners. How are you? This is Steve Amy, everybody. This is the legend that creates the missed apex videos and all the prettiness you see normally during a podcast you just yell at me over whatsapp uh, but you can yell at me in person here if i'm getting video stuff wrong oh i certainly can this is a big step forward in communication so watch out so as an australian f1 fan is it is that a lonely experience because even in the uk where the f1 audience is quite big loads of people in the Missed Apex community will say to me, do you know what? I just don't have any mates that are into F1 or people at work that are into F1. So coming along and hanging out with you guys, say for karting at Rye House, which you can still do, by the way, it, it, it brings you in a community. In Australia, everything's very spread out. So is it a lonely experience? Uh, it is pretty much, uh, particularly since, you know, where I live now, I moved a couple of years ago. I don't know a lot of people up here yet. Um, and the few Formula One friends I had, I left behind. So, yes, this is really my Formula One fix from now on. And I always get a little bit of needle occasionally because I show a tiny bit of favouritism to the British driver. Occasionally show a little <laughs> bit of favouritism to the British drivers. Uh, but the Aussies, they don't mind about that kind of stuff. It's full on. We're Weber, we are Ricciardo. Well, you saw the amount of yellow that was, you know, <laughs> at the end of the race yesterday, all those yellow hats and T-shirts. Yeah, we're very partisan. We're all behind, you know, Daniel Avocado is our favourite national hero. That was so cute. A kid on the TV said he was supporting Daniel Avocado. Uh, but what did, what was the reaction over there when he moved to Renault? Did you all just kind of go, oh, Oh, no. I think there was a moment's disbelief um, that, that, in fact, he was leaving Red Bull. You know, he's kind of glued in there. We all thought he'd stay there. Personally, I was very shocked. And and to go to Renault, you yeah. know, who they were having such a bad time with um, Red Bull. And I've got to say, you know... I still, I'm still not certain that it was the right move for him. No, I'd say but definitely wasn't we'll the right move. Uh, however, mm. credit to Ricardo in one of the best interviews after qualifying when they said, you know, how, what stopped you getting into Q3? He just went, basically said, I basically didn't drive very well and I could have done better and, and I will do better. And you go, well, hats off to the bloke. I'm trying to find reasons not to like him, but that wasn't one of them. No, he's a uh, he's a fairly you know gen- generous and genuine sort of guy. Um, I think he had a hard start. He missed quite a lot of you know practice on uh, Friday. You know while he was parked in the garage and they were fooling around with his car. Uh, and I think perhaps that mentally just unset him a bit. And he did say after the race that uh, he'd perhaps 
given himself too many off-track commitments you yeah. know, because it's his home race and perhaps he should scale those back and concentrate on the racing a bit more, which sounds like a fairly good idea to me. Yeah, so no driver has ever come under any criticism for skipping an event in their home country <laughs> on a race weekend. That's... I'm thinking back to uh, London F1 Live, of course, and Lewis. <laughs> yeah, I was going to... I'm glad you were being sarcastic there. I was going to correct you because, yes, he did come under quite a lot of criticism. Uh, Chris, uh, looking elsewhere in qualifying, this is the time, isn't it, Q3, where we have a lot of questions answered. So, for, for instance, the Williams was probably the most predictable. We all thought they would be at the back and... It, it, it was horrifying to see in real life. That is the reality. They are that far back. And I heard, I can't remember where I heard it from, that they were running with damaged parts. I think it was from Robert Kubica himself saying he was running with damaged parts that they weren't repairing. And that leads kind of nicely into what we were talking about last week when we were saying, you know, they were struggling to get materials for parts. A lack of spare parts in uh, Australia, indeed. They only had the one floor. So in practice, they were being told to avoid the curves because they didn't have any replacements. And uh, that does contribute to a little bit of uh, lap time. And Williams, barely within the 107% rule, you know, they only just actually qualified for that race. Uh, really, really desperate times down there. Yeah, so it's um, it's almost like if you're terrible on track then the sponsors will stop giving you money and you actually need that money to purchase spare parts to do the testing and get better on the track. So um, Sam Watley in the chat is actually asking whether Kubica has finished the race yet. <laughs> I, 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 knew, I nearly made a tweet to that effect of, uh, I think Williams are just coming in now some four hours wow. after the race. Um, Sam Watley, by the way, cannot get comment of the week because my hangover is partially due to him uh, after we hung one on in the hotel bar after the sim racing event. Um, you can catch up with that live video soon. We're going to upload that. I keep going on about it because I'm excited, but there will also be a podcast from that venue. And I'm completely distracted with what we were talking about. Uh, Williams, unfortunately... We were still talking about Williams, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think one of the uh, key points of the weekend for Williams has got to be evaluating Robert Kubitzer um, because th there were some issues um, with him. And already after this first race, there are rumours that he's not going to be lasting the season. And we, we've got to give credit to the guy for his comeback because to make it back to, to racing, let alone to Formula One, after the accident he had back in 2011, is absolutely incredible. But I don't think any of us are under any delusions that Kubica was the best man they could have put in that car for this year. Summers, uh, Kubica made a comment that when he crashed into the wall in qualifying, it was because the car suddenly worked. That's horrible. The, the car worked and he was so startled, he over-egged it into the next corner. Yeah, basically, it appears that once again, they've created a car that switches on and off um, very easily. And... Um, they're actually slower once again this year in qualifying than they were the previous year. So they've made no improvements whoa, whoa. from last year's car. That, uh, and, and, and just give us an idea of how that is relative to other teams. So how much have other teams improved and Williams have gone backwards? Okay, so Mercedes and Ferrari are around seven tenths quicker this year than they were in Australia last year. Um, the biggest gain from anybody is Sauber. I believe they're around about 2.2 seconds. Alpha. Which, yeah, Sauber Alpha. Yeah, they're still Sauber. Um, Are they? 
Yeah, yeah, they're still owned by Sova. So, yeah. Anyway, um, so, yeah, they've got the biggest gain. Uh, and then, obviously, the other teams are somewhere in the middle of those sort of two ends of the spectrum. But, yeah, I mean, the last last year's Williams was slower than the previous year's. So, 2017, the benchmark. Last year's was a tenth slower. And this year's another tenth slower again. So, this is where Nick's point that I got distracted from um, comes in, where you're saying, you know, it's this vicious circle. I remember... When the stroll money came in, Nick, people were saying, well, they've got a plan, you see. They're going to use that money from stroll to work on the engineering. But then it's a vicious cycle. If you've got drivers on track who can't deliver, then that money dries up. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you're an engineer. You understand that you can have all the engineers in the world working on the project, but you have to have drivers on track getting data for those engineers to make decisions with. And if they're not getting relevant data to them, then it doesn't matter how many degrees they have, how much those engineers are getting paid, how many of them are there are. Garbage in, garbage out, right? As far as mathematics goes. Speaking of garbage, um, no, actually, that's a bit. Look, I get, I get accused of stroll bashing on this show because of the amount of time I spend bashing Lance Stroll. So, actually, it's entirely fair. So, what we'll do this season is we're going to judge him entirely on his merits, Chris. We're not going to give him leeway and say, oh, he's young, oh, he's just started, he's two years in now. Now when he comes up at a qualifying performance, car on car against Perez, he's got to do better than Perez being in Q3 and him being in Q1. Especially in the car that he's got in the the form of the Racing Point, who did kind of debut their 2019 car proper and the car has exceeded all expectations. So yeah, nowhere to hide really anymore. Nick? Yeah, so the midfield is so close though, and I'm going to run the risk of being branded as a stroll apologist again. (laughs) But I feel like the gap in the midfield, it's so tight that you can be a tenth behind your teammate, fail to make it to Q2, and it's only another you know, a tenth or two to, to Q3. And so it can make you look really bad when your teammate is in Q3 and you're in Q1, but he actually only really beat you by a tiny margin. Summers. I think the, the good point to make about that as well is, is look at the how the track, track ramped up during qualifying and look at what happened to Gasly. So, you know, qualifying can't always be 100% representative um, in that respect. But um, yeah, certainly... Uh, that Stroll's got nowhere to hide this year. Nick. Right. So obviously we just need to watch this over the course of the season. And if, if he, um, you know, if it's Q3 versus Q1 over and over and over again, then I'll, then I'll shut up. I'll just stop raising my hand. Yep. Uh, the chat room is also saying, you know, what does that say about uh, Gasly, who was also out in, in Q1, as you mentioned there, Summers. Um, but that was actually a Red Bull mistake, wasn't it? Not yeah. letting him do a second run because they didn't anticipate the track evolution. Uh, yeah, that, was a, that was a mistake from Red Bull, yeah. So obviously we'll, we'll get to, you know, the race. I'm well aware Stroll finished ahead of Perez, uh, but I don't think anyone here or anyone in the chat is going to argue that that then proves that somehow Stroll is now faster than Ocon, who was around the same and competitive with Perez. I think we can be a little more sensible than that, but we, we will address it. I won't run and hide from my Perez fosiness. I won't. I'm going to face it down. But let's first talk about where the race was won and lost. Well, we haven't we haven't got trumpets here, Chris, so I'm gonna kind of have to lean on you to tell me where the race was won and lost. I think it's gonna be useful this season 
to break it between uh, Formula One and Formula B. I think that's quite a useful way to go. The midfield looks genuinely exciting this year, and I, I definitely wouldn't want to call you know a winner out of that. But let's start with you know the top end, the World Drivers Championship, the World Constructors Championship. Tell me where the race was won and lost. We had a grid of Hamilton, Bottas, a long way ahead, then Vettel split by Verstappen, then Leclerc, yeah, and then I don't know Kimi or something like that. Uh, not quite, but <laughs> it was uh, the Hasses that were ah, that's right, the Formula yes. B, the Formula B battle, as we expected. But no, there, there were two um, key incidents um, that, that both happened at the start that, for me, were the, the the moments that the race was won and lost. The first one, obviously, was Bottas's lightning start. Having been beaten to pole position on Saturday, he was determined to get to the first corner first, and he did exactly that. Uh, part carving the path for his uh, his sprint off into the distance. And he really did just bettle off, didn't he? You know, break the DRS by the end of lap two and then just sprint away into the distance. But the other crucial factor was Daniel Ricciardo losing his front wing and strewning carbon fiber debris all over the track, which we believe damaged a, a small element, but a crucial element of Lewis Hamilton's car that I'm sure Summers can go into a lot more detail about, but actually cost him quite a bit of pace in this race. Right. I, I didn't realise that those two events were linked as it happens. But let, let's go to Aussie Steve first and go, Steve, that's not the start you wanted from your homeboy. It looked fairly innocuous and just pretty unlucky. Uh, very unlucky. I, I'd like to have a word to the, um, you know, the circuit preparers there it seemed to be an awful big gutter that he ran into which you wouldn't expect you would think that the uh grass the turf next to the track is going to be fairly flat so so if i was to play this bumper steve whose fault is it because as as you know guys if you're new to mist apex because we've had a Uh, an upswell of support from people who have been joining us over the winter what we do for race reviews is we we don't have racing incidents we don't have oh it was just one of those things we we run this panel a lot like my marriage as in when something goes wrong the most important thing to do is assign blame before we fix it we don't go oh it's fine it was a racing incident someone must be at fault so steve whose fault was it the track yeah um, I believe it was the people preparing the track is their fault for that. Uh, he also, he was pushed slightly wide at the start and he said himself that he probably overreacted to that, you know, and he could have, there probably was enough room for him just to keep going. So he's got to take a little of the blame himself. Yeah. Uh, so Chris, it was, it was actually Perez who was trying to avoid Hulkenberg. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, you know, you, you tend to get, three or even four wide uh, off the line, especially if you've got a good mix of cars starting on different tyres, of course. But um, I have to say, you know, that that part of the, the road where you're here, that is just a service road. It's a small service road, but it is, you know, a ribbon of summit to get any cars stranded on the pit straight off the track as quick as possible. And there's nothing unusual about that in, in circuit design, in all honesty. Um, perhaps it's, you know, maybe something you need a clock on a track walk in, in future. Which, exa- which is exactly what I was going to say. It's all Danny Rick's fault. He should have done a track walk, should have known it was there, shouldn't have driven into it. 
Can I uh, just uh, clarify as well about the uh, the with the the debris that ended up on the track from that incident? Um, but it was Hamilton going over it the next lap and the, the laps after that, uh, not from the actual start um, itself. Uh, yes, that makes sense. Nick, Sam Watley in the chat room, who cannot win comment of the week no. because he already has enough times, has finally settled the track limits debate once and for all. I think green equals not track. <laughs> That's a Hang on, it's going to take some some getting around. We'll have to consult Bradley Philpot to see if that if that fits into the lane system. But I do. green equals not track, Ricciardo. And and Merrick Mann in the comments hitting a track wall equals bad, bad. Good, good. Where should we go next, Chris? It's how the race was won and lost. So we find ourselves in the situation where Bottas is pretty much gone. Lewis Hamilton suddenly started going back, and we now know around lap four he lost a bit of his floor. Uh, in fact. Chris, I think we should probably go to Summers and, and ask him about that floor. Uh, yeah. Okay, so, so, so yeah, basically, there's a, a we know that there's a critical element just ahead of the rear tyre, which helps to navigate the airflow alongside the edge of the tyre. And then when the tyre deforms, it pushes airflow laterally into the diffuser. Now, if you lose some of those parts, you end up with a performance loss from the diffuser. And obviously, Spanners is just going, I don't know what he's going on about here. But Listen back, Spanners, like you always do, and I bet you get it. I lie about that. That's a lie. I do listen back, but I still don't get it. But anyway, no. So, so the the floor was damaged. The floor is critical to the airflow, and 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 that's the floor plays more of a part this year than previous years. It, it, it is critical in every uh, year, but obviously with the new regulations and the way they're trying to seal the edges of the floor, it mm-hmm. is going to be pretty important, especially with the way in which the the wheel wake is now trying to get into the, the the diffuser's path so yeah it's certainly going to be uh having an impact on the performance of the car and in hamilton's um case obviously it's an imbalance because that means only one side of the floor was damaged the other side of the floor would have been receiving the correct amount of downforce so you have this problem where the, the car is not performing as hamilton would expect it to well michael brown in the chat room doesn't believe you he says hamilton lost his floor at the same time he threw his dummy out of the pram when he saw Bottas running away, can, can the Hamfosi, can, can those people who are slightly in support of Lewis Hamilton, can you point to that and say, okay, that really did genuinely cost him performance? Yeah, genuinely cost him performance. Chris? I, I think crucially as well, it uh, made it harder for him to make the tyres go the distance, which was then compounded by Sebastian Vettel stopping very early. Um, uh, which he has admitted, yeah, that was probably a mistake from Ferrari. But Mercedes then had to react to it in order not to to lose out. So his stint then got extended as well, combined with the fact that he's got an underperforming car, which is harder to, you know, get the tires to go the distance. I'm not surprised he struggled so much this race. Yeah. So the key to how the race was won and lost was pretty simple. In that Lewis Hamilton didn't have the tools to necessarily come at him but it's a track where it's tight anyway given that poor start even with an undamaged floor Hamilton would have really struggled to get past an equal Mercedes exactly I think uh, basically as soon as they came out of turns one and two I think Mercedes would have caught off that's it we've got one and two if you guys just run to the end we don't care about the order of the cars we've got a one two that's all we care about and even if they were allowed to race 
he really, really would have struggled to get by. We saw Pierre Gasly really struggling to to get through the pack, albeit there were some mitigating circumstances in that as well. But trying to pass your teammate on this circuit uh, it w- would have been really, really difficult. So let's not take anything away from Valtteri Bottas because that was a champion's drive he put in today. Steve? Um, is it just me or does uh, anybody else think that Robotus has had an upgrade during the, <laughs> you know, the winter break? He seems to have come back with a particularly determined attitude, you know, take no prisoners, and he seems to have a you know, very different you know, uh, outlook. Yeah, I thought you were going in a completely different direction there and i was going to say yeah i think the beard is is really working for him you would say that beardy <laughs> you the beard fossey uh yeah i mean he has got he's got to come back angrier after last season where he he not only got asked to give up a race win was soundly the number two chris also lost his main sponsor did he over the course of the winter uh, I think so, although I, I doubt that was the, the most pressing thing on his mind, really, because we all know that his uh, seat is up for grabs at mm. the end of the year. That's what he's driving for at the moment. He's driving to keep his seat because Esteban Ocon is sat right next to Toto Wolf during the races, ready to, to jump in there if Bottas doesn't do the job. So can we talk about to whom it may concern? Because we- I have... I- I have three main theories. It, it can either be to... Wait a minute. Let's, let's put that in context for anyone who didn't catch the end. At the end of the race, over the radio, Valtteri Bottas said, to whom it may concern, go away. But uh, a naughty word instead of go He's, away. He said, take off, said Okay, for, cool. For our Canadian listeners out there. So who, so, who, are, we, who are we thinking that he's aiming that at? So it, it could be the sponsors or the sponsor that he lost, you know look, you could have been on my helmet or on my race suit or overalls, coveralls, whatever you want to call them. We're not going to bring that to up again. They cover all of you. I understand your your logic there. Um, it could be just generally at critics and quote unquote haters and all that. Or I personally choose to believe for maximum dramatic effect that he was speaking directly to Esteban Ocon, <laughs> who really had been on the team radio and saying, hold up, this is still my seat. I don't want to hear you go and cry in the Toto about trying to take it from me. Let, let's pretend. Let's pretend, Chris, that that is definitely the case. And there's some in, inter-garage beef between Bottas and uh, and Esteban Ocon. But you can't deny that he has come back just a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more stoic, a little bit more fiery. He's really, you know, gone away and worked away during the winter to try and um, improve. I personally just think he's directed that message at anybody that that lost faith in him uh, during last season um as, as much as i think you could justify that argument um but toto kept his faith in him and uh, we can see it's uh, at the moment uh, paying off but let's see how he does over the rest of the season because uh, yeah as we say one swallow does not a summer make you guys keep saying things about dummies and prams and i i don't even know if you're even speaking english anymore so just to throw this into the ring. Eric Kim in the chat room says it's called a slide suit. I don't know about that. But what I was going to say is that if you followed Valtteri Bottas on Instagram, like I do, which you should do because it's an amazing page, he's basically taken the plot of Rocky Four and he's gone off into Finland in his cabin and he's just like trail running in the snow and like walking his dogs. And I feel like he, um, he got off the grid, no pun intended, and kind of 
focused inward. He, you know, he pointed to his head. He said, I was, I was working on up here and, and kind of worked on his, on his mental game. And I think the beard has a lot to do with it, but I, I think we're seeing um, Robotas 2.0 maybe. There's only one reason to have a beard, Nick, and that is to cover up an unattractive face. Yes, offense, your face. Summers. Yeah, no, that's what I was planning. Yeah, that's what's going on here. Summers, though, undeniable. Whatever problems Lewis Hamilton had, he focused, he got off the line, and he did everything he had to do. And was quite ferocious going after that fastest lap, which we'll talk about as well. Is it game on? Is this game on? Yeah, most certainly game on. Um, Hamilton... Uh, has admitted that he wasn't on the pace as such, but he knew the reasons why. So, you know, and and Ferrari and Red Bull were still not at the game. You know, even with the the, the pace deficit that uh, that Hamilton had, it was still enough to be able to, to triumph over the rest of the field. So um, I, I don't see that there's a major problem there at Mercedes. They've definitely unlocked something since testing because there were considerably different in terms of pace at testing as to what we saw rock up at Australia. Uh, and for me, it, it's a big tyre talking point, uh, which, uh, as we know, uh, won't go down with well with spanners. It's a myth. I, I absolutely love talking about tyres at the length that Matt Trumpets decides to. Decides to. Uh, Matt Trumpets is at a gig today. That's why he's not here. I know he's got some mega fans in the chat room that disappear as soon as they, they see that Trumpets isn't here. Uh, Chris, some has touched upon the gap between the, the 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 Mercedes and then back to Ferrari and Red Bull, it's nearly a minute gap between the the Mercedes best car and the Ferrari best car. Or mm, spoiler for later, arguably the best Ferrari car of the day. Some of that will be down to the bad tactical decision, but there is genuinely a gap there. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that uh, you know 57 seconds between Vettel and Bottas is the most representative gap because as we said you know Ferrari blundered the strategy a wee bit but it didn't look promising because uh, pace in the second stint just didn't match up it was not bad in the first stint but uh, Vettel really lost all confidence in the second stint and that's just not something you can afford to do because the second stint usually if you're, you're starting at the front is always the longest stint. Nick? I don't get me wrong. I am horribly, horribly bitter and depressed after this race. But I don't think that you can look at the 57 seconds and say, oh, they're, you know, hundreds of miles off the pace. Because I feel like at a certain point in the age of reliability and limited power units and limited components and all that, at a certain point, if you're not going to fight for that position, then why waste the lifespan of the parts that you have to hang on to? And uh, Steve, was it depressing seeing uh, Daniel Ricciardo's old team dance past the Ferrari effortlessly while Ricciardo was on the sidelines? Well, I don't know if it was necessarily effortlessly, but yes, it made me sort of grit my teeth when uh, <laughs> <laughs> when, the, when the Honda engine didn't blow up. I was kind of a bit depressed. Yeah. Uh, I, I would have liked, uh, you know, personally, I would have liked to have seen at least one of the Honda engines fail. And unfortunately, it was one of the Renaults that failed, wasn't it? <laughs> Spectacularly, too. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There we go, Chris. So how, how do we see um, that, that Red Bull performance just, just by just by the sheer coincidence of the tactical misfortunes of Ferrari? Is that all that let Verstappen through or does it look genuine? No, it looks pretty genuine. Honda was uh, doing really well in the speed traps all weekend uh, long, you know, the thick end of 200 miles an hour down there. And this is not even one of the quicker circuits we go to. So the the pace looks very, very impressive. Of course, the reliability is still going to be a question mark over the course of the season. It ran all right in testing. Uh, but uh, that's that's a whole nother ball game doing it in the championship year itself. It, it was staggering to me how he just sailed past Vettel. I know we got a better run out the corner, everything. And yeah, Max was on the better strategy. But um, even so, you know, to, to pull off an overtake around Australia, it means you have a significant pace advantage. And, uh, you know, we even saw him challenging a wounded Lewis Hamilton, sure. But uh, I, that, that pace of the, of the Red Bull looks, looks pretty strong. Right. So you, you do need a lot to get around somebody at Australia. And he has a DRS flap the size of a barn door. So, I mean, I've, it'll be really interesting to see um, how much DRS overtaking there is specifically at some other tracks, specifically probably thinking of, of China's got to be coming up pretty soon. And I wonder if we're going to have um, a situation, which is the opposite of the problem that we've generally had that, that the DRS will be such an advantage that it'll just fly past people and it'll be like, okay, let's, let's, let's make overtaking a little bit more natural in, in back in the other direction again. Yeah. So the, the DRS lap is two millimeter, uh, two centimeters bigger uh, this year and uh roman grosjean is, was saying in testing that you're just going to have no defense against a uh a, a drs uh, car behind you and um, so definitely they are going to have to tweak the zones a little bit because otherwise we will just see people sailing past each other and that's not racing in my opinion well it, it sounds like sailing racing which is a completely different sport tell you what why don't we talk a little bit more about ferrari right now <laughs> Thank you. 
Nick, it's not Ferrari bashing, right? This is a constructive discourse between opposing Formula One fans. You support the Death Star of Ferrari, and I, I am supporting, you know, the guiding light of Mercedes. It's a classic battle of good versus evil. Uh, you want the dark side to prevail. And today, the, the emperors of, I don't really watch Star Wars. I don't really understand how it works. They're one emperor or two. I don't know. But they exercise team orders today. Where's the outrage about the young Frenchman or Monegasque being held off and being told to, to stay back? So here's the quote from, from the radio. Charles Leclerc says, should I stay behind Sebastian? Yes or no? And the comms comes back. Yes. And back off to have some margin. Okay, says Charles Leclerc. It's not that different, is it, from what Mercedes were doing last season? And it, there was outrage from everyone. But this this is the same. Yeah, but it was for the win, wasn't it? Oh, this is for, right. This is for a completely different position. Um, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's like three numbers higher, so it's completely different, isn't it? So it is. First it is. And That's fourth. how math yeah. works. Right. And I, I think that in the future, Charles will probably phrase that question mm. differently if he wants to get a different answer to that question. They made, they made it easy. He made it easy for them, didn't he? Is it by by it, saying, should I stay behind Sebastian? It's easy just to say yes. Right. If I'm at work and I ask my boss, hey, should I work all night? Yes. It's very different than I'm going to go home. Tell me if I need to not do that. So it's all about kind of the psychology. There. That's a very good point. I think there's a bit of a difference between saying don't attack your teammate and asking one of your drivers to move aside and give up uh, a win. And I think especially because Ferrari put Vettel in the situation that he was in with ailing tires and really struggling for grip towards the end of the race. And the only car that he was going to come under pressure from was his teammate. They could afford to to just call off that battle and say that we've, we've got uh, fourth and fifth here. Whether if Charles is ahead, it's not going to make any difference to our point. So just don't bother racing. Well, personally, I don't get what all the you know, the is about with team orders. It's been part of F one for years and years and years. And why has it suddenly become such a, a topic of discussion again? With, with over the history of Formula One, we've had this exact same discussion maybe twenty times. It became an issue because Hamilton got given a win. That's that's why it became an issue, isn't it? Uh, it's well, but, but so did uh, Schumacher too in his day. Chris, uh, Michael Schumacher was a Ferrari driver who won seven world titles. Yes, yes, yep. he is. But it was, a, I mean, it was an issue when Alonso got given a win at Ferrari. It was an issue when Mika Hakkinen was given wins at McLaren. Fans don't like to see fixed races, do they? It's not. It's not what they pay to see. Okay, I do appreciate it was a slightly different situation, but it's a very clear indication of intent, if you like. He was definitely not allowed to go and attack Sebastian Vettel, even though he'd closed that that gap up fairly quickly. Um, Go on, Chris. I was just going to say, I mean, yeah, he was put in that situation. He had the better strategy, didn't he? He was on much fresher tyres. And I I will say props to Charles for trying to dance around the outside of Turn 1 as well. I tell, uh, yeah, in turn one, yeah, he was right on the outside, but he was very careful not to hit Vettel. He'd rather leave the track than hit him. How bad would it have been on your first race as a Ferrari driver to clatter into the side of your teammate? Well, it was a great avoiding uh, measures that he took there. I th- honestly thought he was going to drop the car. 
So before we we're too harsh on on Charles Leclerc though, he's he's probably played a blinder. He's absolutely the new boy to the team, and he's demonstrated that he's as quick as Vettel. And let's let's give Vettel the mitigating circumstances. I believe he was on older tyres. I'm not sure if he was aware of any pace issues, uh, but but taking it on face value, he's a young driver who's come up very quickly, up to his teammate, asked the question, obeyed the orders without complaint. He's, as the new boy, probably, you know, pulled into the garage, into Park Ferme, made everyone a cup of tea, asked everyone how they're doing. And, and if you look at it, Nick, he's playing the long game because when he then becomes the number one driver, when Norris replaces Vettel, you know, he's in a good kind of moral standing. Yeah, exactly. So how how old is Charles? I mean, he's like, what, 14, 15, about Chris's tops. age, I yeah, think. Yeah, tops. And um, yeah, if if I was him, I'd be like, okay, I'm I'm happy to be the number two driver. I'm happy not to rock the boat. I'm happy to be a team player. But sooner or later, Sebastian Vettel is going to take his ball and go home because he'll be upset that Lewis is eight-time world driver's champion. And then he'll get to be the number one driver, and then he will rightfully be able to say, "Hey, I played. I played the number two role. I backed off. I yep. I never attacked my teammate. I never caused any collisions. All I want is I just want the same thing." Exactly. It's smart. And that's very tradition. It's smart. He comes across smart. And Summers. I mean, I'm sure you look at the the data more closely. He he looks genuinely quick. Yeah, he is genuinely quick. But I think the problem that you have with being too compliant is that you could end up being the Barrichello of Ferrari, um, you know, playing second fiddle <laughs> all the time. Uh, so Charles has to be quite careful in the way that he approaches uh, the, the next few races. Uh, and certainly, the, you know, there was this uh, agreement, let's say, between the, the, the team and Charles Leclerc that this would be the scenario. But what really baffled me about this whole thing was why didn't Ferrari decide to just pit him uh, stop this confrontation uh, and allow him to go after the fastest lap uh, because that was the other option that they had on the table rather than their two drivers meeting out on the circuit. Aussie Steve. Well, I reckon that uh, Leclerc will be subservient uh, to Vettel until he knows that he can beat him really substantially and then he's going to turn around and begin to make the point, get him out of my way. Guys, guys, I know exactly what's going to happen. He's going to be happy to play this role all year. He's going to do pretty well. Next year, at some point, he's going to keep doing it. Someone's going to call him a good wingman. And then at the end of next season, he's going to retreat to his beach hut in Monaco and <laughs> focus on his mental game and come back and win in Australia in 2021 and go on go on a tear in that season. That's, that's, that's how this is going to work. Love it. Except it will be his yacht in the Monaco Harbour. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, he doesn't seem like he needs a cabin in the woods. Summers? You forgot about the beard as well, Chris. Uh, if, uh, Nick. Nick, he needs the beard as well. Yeah, so uh, Mihai Reina in the chat room say says that some say that uh, Valtteri found Chuck Norris in the Finnish forest and Chuck gave him a single hair from which he grew his new beard, which is the source of all of his uh, his new strength. Right, it's getting very silly in here. Stop it, all of you. Let's get down to serious business because we've had a major rule change here, Summers. What do you think of it? You alluded to saying that perhaps uh, Charles could have pitted and gone for the fastest lap. A, why didn't he? And B, do we like this rule? 
Okay, so the, the, the problem that Ferrari have is that it's a risk versus reward scenario. So the problem that you would have in Charles's situation is they know he's already quick and that you can catch up to Vettel and they've already guaranteed themselves that position in the race. If they pit him and they make a mistake during the pit stop, they could effectively lose all of those points. So to gain one point, you have to risk all of the points. And I think that's where Ferrari have said, well, let's not go after the fastest lap. Let's consolidate what we've got here uh, um, uh, and go from there, really. Nick? Right. So I'm, I'm going to, I think I'm going to back away from the microphone so that I can scream because Martin Brundle is on TV saying that, oh, it's a no-brainer for Leclerc to come in and pit and go for the fastest lap. And it's like, what are you talking about? I understand that you're trying to manufacture some drama for the television <laughs> so that we don't all turn off Sky, but he's not going to pit and have something go wrong in the pit and throw away 15 points to maybe gain one more point. That's just that. Why? Right. I disagree with you, Nick. I, for once, I'm going to disagree with one of my panel. I, I'm on Team Brundle here. I think it was a no brainer. If you are genuine that you are backing Sebastian Vettel for the title all season long, because no one no one cares about the World Constructors Championship. We can argue about that if you want, but you're wrong. The World Drivers Championship is all anyone cares about. So, Nick, you want to interject on that? No, I'll wait, but I do have a counter argument. Okay, cool. Um, but well, well played throwing me off my flow, yeah, though. That's... that's very good tactic. Uh, so, if you are just backing Vettel versus presumably Hamilton at this stage, then it doesn't matter how many points you lose with Leclerc, you're taking a point away from Bottas or Hamilton. That's that's what I'm thinking. But but it but it does matter because it's not just the actual points, but it's the it's the PR of it. It's it's to I'll try to do my Steve voice. It's the public relations of the thing. Or to do summers, it's all to do with the PR. Was that so, your attempt at a Brummy accent? Not not bad. I mean it's quite Dick Van Dykey, but not bad. Okay, so so can you imagine a scenario where Leclerc comes into the pits and the front left wheel can't go on and at all, or he drives off and it comes undone, and then the the beating that they would yeah. get, what were they thinking doing that? Even though we were all just calling for it, they just psychologically they they just don't they just don't need that. Aussie Steve. Uh, Spanners, I've got to take um, you know your comment about uh, only the drivers' championship matters. Yep. Um, Stand by. I've got to have an argument with that because uh, then bring it. What it what it may be for us fans, the most important thing. Surely the team is not going to throw away fifteen points. Where you, and remember, they get money based on where they finish in the constructors' championship. So the team is not going to allow him to throw away 15 points so don't don't misunderstand me i'm not saying that they have reckless disregard for the world constructors championship but if there's a final race and there's some scenario where they have to pick between the world drivers championship or the team championship i think everyone's going to pick the drivers championship because that's where the glory is in abu dhabi i think that depends on who the team is and how much money they've got because that one point could mean millions to a team you know in prize money for the up and coming year Okay, Chris, we'll let you decide. Is that fastest lap thing good or bad? Um, it, it, I think it's just been slapped on as a bit of an afterthought, really, hasn't <laughs> um, it? I can see uh, how it can impact the championship because at the end of the day, that's an extra 21 points across the season that's up for grabs. So that could play a, a significant role 
in the championship. I don't like the fact that in this race in particular, maybe it was because of a relative lack of action, but it just became the fastest lap just became the talking point of the race. And it was turned into a glorified qualifying session, which I didn't really like. I I would rather talk about the actual racing on the track. Well, that's because we could talk about the elephant in the room here. And Steve, you might want to close your ears, but okay, come on, Steve. It's not a great track for a season opener. I think we can all admit that. We love the Aussies. The track might even be a great track to drive on, but for a season opener, it it just doesn't it doesn't set us on fire, does it? I don't think it matters. I mean, this is the first race after qualifying. Everybody agrees that qualifying, you know, really doesn't show us a lot uh, because we have no testing. understanding of what you mean testing testing rather yeah. testing rather. Sorry, uh, because it, we don't know what the underlying you know facts and figures and data is. This is the first time we actually see them in, you know, competition where we know what fuel loads are and we know what the, you know, the tyres are and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I don't know whether it, it's such a bad uh, track. Uh, and, of course, I'm going to defend it a bit. Sure, it's not, <laughs> it hasn't got three acres of runoff room like Paul Ricard or Abu Dhabi, but perhaps that's part of the driver's skill to be able to, you know, drive in a fairly narrow, confined course and still do well. Would you have Monaco as the season opener? Oh, no, definitely not. So, I wouldn't have Monaco. I, I would perhaps have China. So once we've removed because, your bias, your argument crumbles away, Steve. No, my argument doesn't crumble away. I think it's a fine track to use at the start of the race. I don't think the fact that it's difficult to overtake is necessarily a bad thing. Um, it's testing the drivers. It's testing the car's ability to be able to follow close and overtake. But what it does do, Summers is it gives us a, a perhaps an unrepresentative performance-wise first look at F1. We could go to China and Bahrain now and everything could be different. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been trying to say this on social media for the last couple of weeks. Melbourne is an outlier. Uh, the, the track is very different to the, the type of circuits that we're going to see coming up. So, you know, to, to use it as the one that you benchmark the rest of the season on would be completely irresponsible. Um, and you need to look at what the performance level are when we go to the proper circuit, circuits, let's say, uh, at Bahrain, China, etc., uh, before we're really going to see the sort of proper pecking order. Yeah, you could consider Melbourne to be a practice match, you know, be- <laughs> before the main games. That's, that's what testing's for, Steve. Fine. Do you know what? I'm going to let your, your terrible and incorrect argument stand, Steve, because I love you. Chris, uh, shall we move on to Formula B? Yeah, let's go for it. Really close, really exciting. The camera didn't spend enough time on Formula B for my liking, but there was quite a lot of action, and I say that loosely because it's Australia and we know what to expect from this Grand Prix, but there was a good train, uh, and it looks like it's going to be fascinating. Couldn't tell you now which one of those teams is going to end up in fifth. Maybe Haas has got one hand on fourth, but the, the rest of it is wide open. I love it. Six teams covered by just a, a few tenths, of a second and uh, if only this was uh, happening at the head of the field but we can enjoy what we've got here um i don't know about one hand on the sort of formula b championship for uh for Haas because we saw they had the fourth quickest car last year throughout the vast majority of the season 
Um, but operationally, there were mistakes and crucially driver uh, mistakes as well, particularly on the side of Roman Grosjean. So let's hope those have all been uh, ironed out for the season. But it, it seems like yeah, Renault are, are, are right in there. Racing Point did surprise, actually, given the very limited preparation they've had for the 2019 season. Yeah, they did. Um, Merkman's a little bit not upset in the chat room saying Formula B, shouldn't that be Formula 1.5? No, that's that's not how it works. It's Formula 1, Formula B, Formula Williams. That's the logical that's the logical way to go to go about this, isn't it? So Williams aren't on that train. Uh, obviously Gasly found himself caught up in it. Uh let's see here. Um how the Formula B race was won and lost, Chris? Yeah, I mean I I will actually just mention Gasly while you know while you've brought him up that he did have uh, debris stuck in his uh, front wing for the vast majority of oh, the race. Oh, did he? That uh. might explain his his lack of pace. Also, he couldn't see the start lights from where he was on the grid. So he could only go when he saw everyone else go and lost two places because of it. So that might explain why he didn't quite make the progress um, we expected. But for, for me, the story of Formula B was Antonio Giovinazzi and his never-ending first stint. Never-ending first stint. He also had an issue, I believe, Sam, was Giovinazzi. Yeah, he did have some some damage, I believe, through the, that he was trying to drive around effectively. And so the team decided just to extend or keep extending that stint length so that it made sense that he would uh, obviously have less time to spend on the tyre from the end of the race. So uh, I think he did an exceptional job, to be honest, under the circumstances. Uh, that's very true. And his uh, defensive driving was uh, not uh, not bad at all either, especially when you consider he's been out of racing for, for two years, effectively being a, a test driver and a reserve driver. I mean, he has lost a little bit of finesse. I think Kevin Magnussen proved that where he did his complete dummy move into turn 13 and Giovinazzi just kind of got scared and, and went wide and frightened him off the apex um, a little bit. But there are some some interesting stories from there. Giovinazzi did definitely define uh, some of the orders. Um, for example, I think he was a, a big part in Stroll making it into the top 10. Uh, and uh, the likes of of Perez and Norris and the Tarossos not making it in there because they all got held up behind him. So Perez is exempt from the charge that he's now rubbish because he got beaten by Stroll, and this proves that Stroll is definitely better than Perez and Ocon. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen, we've talked about how hard it is to overtake on this circuit, even with very old tyres. Uh, Giovinazzi was able to hold them off, whereas the likes of uh, Stroll were running a much longer first stint and were just kind of yeah. pulling the gap while they were all caught up behind Giovinazzi. So we, we're talking about Gasly. I know we've jumped around here in the Formula B, but obviously he was hindered by Kvyat. So Red Bull, they've made this decision to bring Kvyat back into the fold. He he chokes early on trying to lunge Stroll, goes into the gravel. That ends up putting him further back in, in the track, which uh, in the train, sorry, which then brings him out in front of Gasly, who he then overtakes and then holds up. Red Bull must be absolutely delighted with that choice today. Well, I mean, to be fair, Kvyat did show a good turn of of speed. I think, yeah, uh, the racecraft might not have been so excellent there, but uh, we, you'll see them act so differently in Bahrain, where you can overtake. You know, I think Kvyat maybe got a little bit um, desperate, um, which unfortunately is the kind of thing he started to do when his career really dropped off last time around. So let's hope we're not seeing a, a repeat of that. And I've got to say, really impressed by Alexander Albon as well for his first Grand Prix, um, especially given that he's never raced the circuit before looks 
very, very feisty. And I, I'll be fascinated to see what he can do in Bahrain, where, of course, he has raced before. Steve, Aussie Steve, you're a professional video guy. You professionally make videos and you give up so much of your time to make us look pretty here on Missed Apex. Thank you so much for that. As an Aussie, you obviously support all the Aussies. But do you do the do Aussies have a a kind of a kinship with the British drivers as well, or or is it the opposite of that? Oh well, I can't speak for all Aussies, but I can speak for myself. Yes, I have a kinship with the British drivers because when I was, you know, young and watching um, F one, the British drivers were the and the British teams were kind of dominant, um, and so I grew up, you know, loving Williams and McLaren. Um, Nothing would be greater to see both those teams come back nice and strong. So, yes, I don't hate British drivers. Um, I've got to tell you that sometimes I wish uh, there was a few other good British drivers other than just Lewis. Well, well let, I think let, that it gets shoved down our throat fairly heavily. I see. Well, let's let's start with that then because we, we mentioned Albon, who certainly looked fine out there today, uh, but Norris, particularly impressive. I, w- I was very impressed with Norris. I think that he... Uh, Made a good showing for himself. Uh, first race out, uh, he showed some quite, you know, feisty wheel-to-wheel battling. And I think that's good for him uh, in the future. And he did well in qualifying too. So uh, I think that there's lots of promise with him. Of course, I hope that um, McLaren can rise to the occasion and, you know, give him what he needs to do well. And science too, I suppose. He's been there. He deserves more than a flame out. Brett Cook in the chat room says he's putting a bet on Kvyat being back in a Red Bull seat shortly. Spanners, you're a betting man. You're going to take that bet, aren't you? Well, there's, yeah, I mean, that's dependent on Gasly doing badly. So, you know, tick for week one. Uh, I'm not saying that's going to continue. But certainly Gasly is in a very difficult position, isn't he, Nick? He's up against Max Verstappen. It's not inconceivable that he could come under pressure and and flake. And Red Bull aren't afraid to make mid-season driver changes. Right. So he, he's in a bad position, namely starting at P17 on the grid because they didn't send him out while the track was evolving. So I True. can't remember yes, exactly where yes. he finished, around about 11th, I think. And he had the debris stuck in his wing. So I'm being very harsh about, about yeah, that. So yes. he certainly did as well as could possibly have been expected in a race where there was like three overtakes, maybe. Okay. Well, we mentioned signs briefly. We're about to go to the podium, but Summers, before. Before we move on, so we're talking about the fortunes of of McLaren. If you were Red Bull, if you were a Red Bull fan, and you were seeing signs pull up with that that Red Bull, uh, with that Renault blowing up, it's kind of like just seeing your ex's new partner being yelled at in a supermarket, and you go, Whew, I've escaped. I've escaped from that horror show. Yeah, very much so. And I think uh, Max said something over the radio come the end of the race that kind of mirrored what Alonso had said when they were uh, they took uh, the, the Renault on board. So uh, I think Red Bull are pretty happy with the relationship they've got with Honda and they're very happy to be out of the relationship they've got with Renault. And I do think that they've made a serious amount of progress uh, in terms of the extra performance that they've got using the Honda power unit um, because they're able to work much more closely uh, with Honda than they were with Renault. Uh, Renault, I think, kind of hung, hamstrung them in certain respects. Uh, and certainly, um, even if they are on level peggings with Renault um, in terms of the amount of performance they're getting from the power unit, I think, you know, Red Bull are able to make it up with Aero. So, yeah, I, I think they'll be very happy with what they've, they've achieved so far. I can't 
I can't believe I'm saying this actually, but I missed Fernando Alonso. I, I thought there was there was definitely an element missing from the team radio game today. <laughs> so are you disappointed that Signs kind of just got out of his car and calmly walked down the, the pit lane without making any kind of drama out of it? Yeah, I'm going to need him to to turn up the uh, telenovela factor by <laughs> a, by a good proportion in the future. Fair enough, guys. We're going to give out some awards and go to the podium right now. Hey, kids! F1 is back, and I, for one, am very excited, not delighted at getting up at uh, five o'clock in the morning to watch the race. I actually managed to wake up too early. So I woke up 40 minutes before the race started. What I'd done is I'd set two alarms, one for the start of the race live and one for the eight o'clock replay that was on. And I must have some kind of internal Formula One body clock that woke me up before my alarms, 40 minutes before the race started. But it was too early because I looked at it and I went, ah, 40 minutes of watching build up, four in the morning. I'll just have a little doze and wait for the alarms. Slept through the entire race. Did wake up in time for the replay, though. Um, it's it's weird in Australia. The time is different. Everything's upside down. There was an Australian giving out the awards on the podium, and the interview went something like this, Steve. What did you have for breakfast? I had porridge. Is, is that a normal Australian conversation to simply, well, well done on that race? May I ask about your dietary habits? Yes, of course you can. Here's the answer to it. Yeah, well, of course, you know, anything that isn't kangaroo, we want to know. You know, if Australians only eat kangaroo, everyone knows that. So if, if someone had porridge, that's a news item. So was asking him what he had for breakfast, is that a specific Aussie greeting? No, I'm not sure where that came from. I would suggest that whoever it was, and I've got to say that I didn't see the podium um, <laughs> the bits, so... Uh, whoever was asking, who was it that was asking that? Was Weber. it Weber? Yep. Oh, yep. God. Um, now I feel t- totally embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry about it. Who, who's going to be embarrassed this season, Summers, and who's going to be delighted? Out of the top three teams, which car's got the most potential? In terms of overall potential, I think that, that will be Mercedes uh, once again because they always seem to be able to just keep on pushing harder and harder uh, throughout these uh, changes in the regulations. Um, but obviously, looking at this race compared to where we may be in a few more races time, I think we'll be looking at the the, the pace that Ferrari have suddenly gained uh, because I do think uh, they are hiding a huge amount of performance at the moment because they've ha- they're having to due to a, a problem with the power unit. But if, if they never built a car that can unleash that full potential then they don't have that performance what they've done is they've gone down a performance dead end if you like yeah as as i said uh, earlier on uh, potential is only as good if you can extract it and currently they can't do that so you know it's it's kind of a mute topic really and as i say i do think though we have to bear in mind that in a few races' time, they will be there or, there or thereabouts, but it's not going to be an immediate thing. These flyaway races are, are, are races that we won't see them be able to extract that performance. 
Tell you what, let's do our awards. And as we do that, I'll tell you where you can catch up with my expert panel. Uh, you can, of course, catch up with me by going on Twitter and going to at Spanners Ready or at Missed Apex F1 for the show. We are a Patreon-supported podcast. Your support means the world to us, and we've got a great community of patrons. So you could go to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex and become a patron of Missed Apex podcast. You help us keep keep the lights on. Literally, is that the right word? My daughter overuses literally, but literally, this podcast would have packed up last September had it not been for the patrons. Thank you so much. Summers, you've got a YouTube channel, which is essentially just FIFA, you playing FIFA. I, did, I, I used to put that on my channel, but now it's all about the F1 again, because obviously we have to do these other things that we don't just talk about F1, but I've got a separate channel now no, for the FIFA stuff. That's all I do. All I do is sit and talk about F1. Uh, yeah, so follow Summers by searching for him on YouTube. Summers F1 everywhere. Uh, who would you like to give an award for Thing of the Weekend? I think my uh, award for Thing of the Weekend would go to Norris because of his qualifying performance and and a solid performance in the race. I know he dropped a few spaces off the the start, but I think he was a a solid solid performance for his first race. Very exciting. Uh, We're going to change around how we do the awards. From now on, you guys nominate someone and include some of the chat room stuff as well. And I I will be the judge and I will decide who we give the overall award to. The reason for this is, I always forget to think of who to give the awards to. Steve? Uh, I'd like to nominate for Thing of the Week Bottas because I have heard that he went against Toto's express orders about going for (laughs) fastest lap and just decided, he and his engineer apparently, decided that they would ignore what Toto said and go for the fastest lap. So I'd like to give him Thing of the Week for having big kahunis. Well, I don't. I don't really like that, Steve. I'd, I'd have no truck with that here at Mist Apex. We we strict team orders. You would find yourself in the T car before you knew what was happening if you disobeyed team orders here on Mist Apex. Um, you are an old curmudgeon and you refuse to be on social media. So just people will have to follow you in real life. Just follow yeah, you around I'm, in Australia. I've been doing that for a long time, and it seems to work okay. <laughs> the internet, Steve. Get on board for goodness' sake. Oh. Oh, I use the internet. It's just social media is something I don't understand at all. We'll get him into it. Nick, we'll, you will get him into it. Can you nudge him and just open him a Twitter account? Grumpy old Australian git at underscore. Journo. Journo. <laughs> underscore journo. Uh, Nick Numbers Alexander, I'm going to get my th- your thing of the weekend. Uh, but firstly, you have traitorously started your own podcast. Who do you think you are? Yeah, so I've started my own podcast, and I've actually taken Steve with me. What? Etu, Amy, etu? So I have a new podcast called What's It About? And it's a bi-weekly book discussion. And every two weeks, me and Steve and some of our other friends, most of them have something to do with the show, Slack patrons and that sort of thing. And we just read various things and chat about it. And it's kind of a way for... uh, me to hold myself accountable to make sure that I do as much reading as I want to do. (laughs) Reading. Honestly, since Netflix got good, there's literally no point in opening a book. Um, Does audiobook consumption count as reading a book? Because I, I, the last book I read was Ready Player One and I bought the book for holiday. I got, I got like 10 or 15 pages in and I went, "Mm, this is really inconvenient. And I just downloaded the audiobook instead. 
I actually, I can be a snob about a lot of things, but I firmly believe that audiobooks count as books. And, and my argument for it is simple is that if someone asked you if you'd read Ready Player One, you wouldn't say no. Good. Yeah. You, yeah so, so, yeah, who, would so you, you give I, your, who would you give your thing of the weekend to though, Nick? Oh, hang on. It's sure. at, at Nick Alexander F1. Is that what you are? It is. Yeah. Twitter. And you can find everything else through there. Cool. Who would you give so your thing I, of the weekend? Yeah, my thing of the weekend. So I'm an American. So I grew up watching baseball and I'm not going to like talk baseball and confuse you all because I, I, I know what that's like because just earlier Steve mentioned cricket. So in baseball, they love stupid factoids like, oh, this pitcher is his ERA is this much when he's throwing against left handers after the seventh inning on weekdays when it rained earlier in the week. And so at the beginning of the race, before the race has actually started, they said that that Melbourne was the only city on the calendar to host an F1 race and a tennis grand slam. And that just cracked me up. I won't forget that. Oh, wow. Okay, that's great. So who's who, who does the award go to? The, the announcer? Yeah, whatever uh, stat person was behind that. Okay, brilliant. Absolutely. Maybe it was our, you know, the virtual stat man. Who knows? Uh, that leaves us with Chris Stevens, failed, failed journo and now PR man. Is that a fair description? No, I'm still a journalist. I just make money doing PR. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the same way, you still, you're still an engineer, right? I mean, my heart was never in it, but I guess. Yeah. All right. So you are now at Chris on Racing on Twitter. Why don't you tell us who has got your award for thing of the weekend? Uh, for, for me, thing of the weekend is going to be Kevin Magnuson's move on Antonio Giovinazzi, where he pulled a complete dummy, but still managed to scare Giovinazzi off the circuit. Fantastic. And the chat room is suggesting perhaps I should give Stroll my thing of the weekend award to give him the credit he deserves. Tell you what, if he does start regularly beating Perez on performance, then yeah, I will have to do that. But I am not setting the bar any lower for Lance Stroll than I would with anyone else, Nick. Just really quickly, I did look up and confirm that he was less than a tenth off of Perez in Q1. Fair enough. We will. This will be an ongoing debate. I'm sure no one will let me drop this, uh, but I firmly believe that Perez will end up dominating Lance Stroll over the course of the season. Otherwise, you're accepting that Stroll is as, as good as Ocon, which is just weird. Uh, let's see, Norris. Who said Norris? Who, oh, Summers. Summers will go with that. Then Summers gets our thing of the weekend award. Uh, now it's time to be a bit more negative. We don't really like being negative, but it's the Missed Apex Award. Oh, no, you missed the Apex. Let's see, Summers. Who missed the Apex for you? Um, well, I think it has to be Ricardo uh, coming off the start because... He didn't make the apex without having to lock up the brakes. So, yeah, Ricardo for me. thing is, if you take to the grass, you are taking a risk, aren't you? I mean, the alternative was he could have lifted, but it seemed like he kept his foot in, decided to risk it going off. So he has to take some blame, although very, very unlucky to find something just off the track that is going to break your front wing. Yeah, but he was off the track. So at the end of the day, you go off the track, you expect to hit something. So, yeah, he could have took avoiding action in another way. But for me, um, yeah, it was a bit of a mistake. That, that wing really flew up in the air as well. Am I getting confused? Because that flew up in the air and over the top of Robert Kubica. I think Kubica actually hit it. Oh, did he? Ah, oh, right. And that's why it flicked up. He lost his nose as well. Yeah. Great start. Welcome back to F1. Just random, random front wing hitting you. All right, then. So you've given it to uh, Ricardo. Uh, let's go for an angry reaction from Steve for that. <clears throat> well, I'd have to give it to Williams, unfortunately, because they, 
they missed all of the apexes, and not only on race day, but for the whole you know weekend. I I wish them well in the future, but I'm not holding out much hope. So so far we've got Ricciardo and Williams. Uh, let's go to Nick Numbers Alexander, who in real life is an accountant. But you're not, I mean, I mean, your voice is dull and your opinions are dull, but you're not overall as dull as one might expect from someone in such a boring profession. Thanks. Yeah. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read some relevant chat room comments (laughs) now. So uh, Mark Greenhow in the chat says he'd like for me, Nick, to be his race engineer. He would definitely follow team orders if he was asked so beautifully. So thank you, Mark. I'm I'm flattered. I I am married. Um, <laughs> you can't just read. You're, you're not trumpets. You can't just read the comments that are saying specifically nice things about you. No, that's a valid tactic to get your comments to be read on the air. You have you have to pay attention and figure out who's reading the comments that day, and then direct everything at them. And then you said my points were dull, but no, no, hang on, wait, wait. They, they were delivered in a dull way, is what I meant. Oh, okay. Onster Felichka in the chat room, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing exactly correctly, says, Nick, your wrong points are important. So thank you also for that. So glad you came. Glad you came. (laughs) Glad you came, Nick. Yeah. I I did listen to your question and I will answer it. Who missed the apex for me is Max Verstappen. If he had not gone off chasing Hamilton, I think he could have gotten him. And what I thought was very interesting was when he was asked about it after the race, he said, oh, it didn't matter. I wasn't going to get him anyways. And I just think that's classic driver psychology. Now, if if there was a mechanical error with his car, then it would have been the team's fault. And if it had not happened, he would have definitely won the yeah. race from the back of the grid. But since he went off, then just a, just a minor excursion, nothing to see here, carry on. So, Max. So we've got Ricciardo, Max, and uh, who did you say, Steve? Williams. Williams in general. All right, that leaves us with with Chris. Who are you going for, Chris? Uh, yeah, for me, it's going to be Haas um, this time for the Roman Grosjean uh, pit stop. The sad thing about it was that the, the reason that he was in that box for so long was because they realized there was an issue with that front left, and they took extra measures to make sure it was on properly but in doing so actually damaged the wheel nut, which is why it then came undone. It's um, There's a phenomenon in golf where if you're slicing the ball, which means when you hit it, it goes swirling off to the right if you're right-handed. Now, you can end up psychologically look to the right and you're going, right, I, I need to not go to the right. So you've really got your eye over there going, I've got to make it go left, which makes you come across the ball more, which makes you slice it more, which makes it spin off to the right more. So you're psychologically beaten. Have Haas wound themselves so much uh, up about, like, you know, the Netflix documentary highlighting their problems in Australia that it's just caused this, like, don't damage the wheel, don't damage the wheel. I I overdid it, now I damaged the wheel. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, there were 20 other races last season where they got it absolutely right. And I think it's just unfortunate that they've had... Uh, another issue um, here. Um, before I wrap up on my point, I would uh, like to, to plug e-radio. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Chris. It. I forgot to let I you did, plug things. I, did, I didn't plug it when I was doing my thing at the weekend, but me and Matt are going to be doing the Sanya race preview this week. And then, of course, the race review after that as well. Um, e-radio is a missed Apex production. 
with Matt Trumpets and Chris Stevens. I will occasionally dip in and out and go on there, but you do have some good other guests on there. It's it's a fine production. It's not bad, Chris, even though I'm I'm not personally making it. It's fine. Yeah, it's okay, I guess. I mean, we're we're talking about the the best motorsport championship around at the moment. So, <laughs> uh, any any ponies? Anyone got a pony? Oh, hang on, Steve's one there, so I've got to find the button. I've, Chris, you do it. I can't find the button. Oh no, you missed the apex. No, it's pony. You did it wrong and sounded terrible. All right, who gets the pony? No. Who gets the pony award, Nick? I I have to give the pony award for the very thing that Steve awarded thing of the weekend, which is Valtteri Bottas saying, well, I want 26 points. And if you're already going to get 25 and you just want one more of that, that to <laughs> me seems to, to, to fit the spirit of the award, even if I don't blame him. That's quite ponyish. There is one award left, which is comment of the week. And somebody's, somebody's written in the show notes, Spanner's comment of the something week to within huge letters so that's why i've remembered it uh, but matt trumpets is normally on his wife writes books the lovely amanda weaver has written a book called the one i love to hate it's out on march 15th go and follow uh, at a weaver writes these are mucky books for your wife so you can support matt and his family buy a mucky book it's, I presume I don't know if there's audio book versions of it, but you give that to your wife and go here, here you go, dear. Here's a mucky book, and then you can watch the the Grand Prix. I mean, that's how it works in 99% of the scenarios. I don't have any advice for female F1 fans of how to distract your your other halves. Nick, if only uh, she and Matt knew anyone that did audiobook narration. Yeah, no, I know we've had this conversation. I'm not not going down that route again. Uh, right, okay. Yeah, I wouldn't so- want to read romance either. Let's do comment of the week. Comment of the week. Nick, you've been looking after the incredibly busy chat room today. Welcome to you guys. Uh, The new guys have joined us in there. It's fantastic hanging out with you. You bring an energy to this podcast that makes it so much fun for us to do. We don't feel like we're just alone on a Zoom call. We are in a big community and we just happen to be the ones talking. But thank you for joining us. Who's made the best comment of the week? And would you like to give us some nominees first? Yeah, so I'm filling in for Matt because you just pick Americans to do this, I think. And I think in the spirit of Matt Trumpets, who's here in the chat room, I'm going to read 17 or 18 of the the top options. Settle in, kids. Okay. So in in reference to Mercedes uh, testing performance, Sam Watley says, no one sells sandbags that big. No. But I, yeah, look, I don't want to hear in testing next season people banging on about Ferrari performance and maybe Mercedes have lost it. Can we not just can we not just learn? It's been it's been happening for ages now. Like I'm going to just replay a clip of this when it comes to the preseason in 2020. <laughs> it sounds like us Ferrari uh, perennial hopefuls need some sort of. <laughs> intervention exactly no no you're going down this bad path again and i hate what it does to you and i just need you to stop okay (laughs) you're hurting yourself you know what happens in australia and then you're sad okay right okay who's the next who's the next nominee phil c says does nick get invited to make his debut every time ferrari has a bad day it kind of works out like that but to be fair ferrari and your driver last season made it very easy to find bad days for us to bring you on and 
generally have a go at you. It just worked out with the schedule. It just worked out. <laughs> Merrick Man says, disappointed, appalled. I'm just a mess. Is he a Ferrari fan as well? I, I think he is. By the way, you were joking about 18 nominations, weren't you? A couple more. Okay, go on. And I'll let you. Okay, Evangelos Heterocleitos says, Ham's car was neither oversteery nor understeery. It was left steery. And Sarah says, I woke up at five, realized I was still very drunk and was in the Lake District and went to bed without watching the race. What a fan. I look forward to Sarah appearing on the podcast soon for race reviews. Hopefully on races she's watched. You pick a winner for me, Nick. Okay. I'm actually going to read one more and give it the winner. Did this one. Michael Brown says it goes Formula One, Formula B, Formula Nick's dog, Formula MasterCard Lola, Formula Williams. Fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us, guys. Look out for a podcast of our live event at Simply Race in Milton Keynes. Thank you very much to Simply Race for hosting us there. We had a quiz with our terrible quiz master, Chris Catman-Turner. The audio will be awful. The sound discipline is appalling because Jake Sanson was there. Uh, but how it might be a bit of fun. If, if live recordings that are messy are not your thing, you can skip that and we'll see you next Sunday for a more grown-up show. Sarah says, I watched the highlights. I, I watched some of the race. Yeah, give us your opinion on some of the race. Uh, let's see now. Um, thank you very much to Steve Amy, our video man, Chris Stevens, PR guy, our miserable token Ferrari man, Nick Numbers, Alexander, and the tech guru that is Summers F1. Whenever you see us again, until then, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Hi guys, thanks for joining us for this race review. You can come and join us in real life in just over a month's time on April the 20th at Rye House, just north of that there London. We are going karting. If you come with us for £79, you will compete in three 10-minute heats and a final. You'll be in random grids. It's going to be absolute chaos. You'll be racing against myself, Chris Stevens. I think Jake might be there, Bradley Philpott. Alex Van Jean, and we'll also have a live podcast and a few beers afterwards as well. So come and get involved. There's still spaces left. If you go to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash karting, uh, or you can just email me spannersready at gmail.com. Let's go racing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.